This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Acts chapter 28, verses 24 through 31, and then we'll walk back through it. Okay, I'm going to start reading. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen lived there two whole years at at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him and proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So, like I said, I'm covering Acts chapter 27 and 28, so it's going to be impossible to read through that whole text. So what I'm going to do is paraphrase both of these chapters. I want to encourage you to read it, though, on your own. You know, hold me up my word. Make sure I'm not slipping, right? Read it on your own. Read chapters 27 and 28 for yourself. But I'm just going to paraphrase what the whole thing says anyway for today and then make some observations on it. Sound good? Yeah. Yeah. All right, all right. Let's dig in. So, if you've been tracking with us, you know that Paul was in prison, and he was, he, he'd gotten his word from God that he would be carrying the gospel to Rome, but they had him in prison for over two, over two years, just, just waiting there, and, and he's being um, engaged every now and then, but now we go into chapters 27 and 28, finally Paul is heading off to Rome. So they load him up on this ship, and it's like it's almost 300 people on the ship, like 270-something people. And that's like including all the prisoners that was all going to Rome. That's the guards. That's the centurion who was the guy that was in the position of authority on, on the ship. You had the pilot of the ship, and you had the owner of the ship. So all of them are on the ship together, and they set sail journeying out to Rome. Now, on their journey, they get to this point where they have to, to dock and, 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 and get some supplies, and they're getting ready to leave again, but that's when the Holy Spirit gives Paul this, this, this discernment that there's going to be danger on the trip, serious danger. So, so Paul, he goes up to the centurion, the guy that's in charge, and he tells the centurion, the things that the Lord was showing him, he's like, listen, there's going to be grave danger if we take off now. If we leave now, there's going to be grave danger. Listen, we're going to lose our cargo. We're going to lose our ship. Matter of fact, we're going to end up losing our very lives. 
So the centurion, he hears this, and what the centurion does, he goes and he talks to the pilot of the ship, because he knows, like, man, you've been driving inside the sea for a long time. You know what's up. Let me talk to the pilot. He talks to the owner of the ship, and the pilot and the owner is like, dude, it's all good. Trust me, I know this stuff. I, this is my job. This is my expertise. I know this is going to be all good. And then the majority of the people on the ship were all like, man, we don't want to stay. Let's all leave. So then Paul is just basically outvoted by the majority of the people and the expertise of the, the pilot and the owner of the ship. So they go on their journey. And he start. Going, and then lo and behold, after days of traveling, a storm comes up, and things get hectic. The ship is being tossed back and forth. They lose control of this over the ship. They have no idea what's going on. They're scared, and, and, and they, their whole world is just getting rocked, and they, they go into survival mode, and they just start taking the cargo and throwing the cargo off the ship. And it's crazy because Paul told them we're going to lose the cargo. And here they are now throwing the cargo off themselves because they're trying to save themselves. And nothing is working. And they get to this point where they're like, nothing is working. And they think that all hope is lost. Then the Lord speaks to Paul again. This time, he tells Paul that He's going to spare their lives. So Paul, he goes to the centurion, and he does what most of us would do. He goes to him, he says, I told you so. I told you now. Don't worry, though. It's good. The Lord said he's going to spare our lives. So now the centurion, he starts listening, and he starts following some of the instructions that Paul is saying, but, but not without consequences. The storms are still raging, and the, the sea is still going crazy, and they get to the point where they lose the rest of their cargo, and the ship, the ship crashes, and they get stuck. The soldiers, they start in a panic, and they're like, man... Before we let the prisoners escape, we're just going to go and we're going to kill all the prisoners. So the centurion, the centurion is like, nah. He stops them from killing all the prisoners because he wants to save Saul. So they don't kill the prisoners, but the ship gets destroyed wrecked and everybody inside the sea and they, and they just grabbing onto debris and they just start floating off and they all ended up making it to this island and all of them survived none of them died now that was what happened in chapter 27 if there was a if there was a nickname that I would give to chapter 27, that nickname would be the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. That's how I would nickname that chapter because you're looking at this and Paul, he goes to him and he's like, listen, the Lord is showing me this. And, and the centurion is like, I hear what you're saying, Paul, but I'm going to go with education, expertise, and experience on this one. These dudes are saying it's all good. It's going to be right. I'm going to trust them on this. And he goes and gets his butt kicked. Here's the reality. We've all done that at times, though. 
We've all been in that place where we know that the Lord is showing us through the word of God, through, through people that he sends our way and gives us our directions on what we should do and how we should walk these things out. But our own wisdom makes more sense to us. And we decide to do that instead. It sort of adds up to me instead. I mean, many of us do it. We do it on Sundays when it comes time to giving, and you're like, I don't know how I have enough money to do all these type of things and give, so I'm going to rely on man's wisdom. But I want to make this statement. I want to I be really clear about this. Man's wisdom apart from God is demonic. I want to say that. I want y'all to get that. Man's wisdom apart from God is demonic. Why do I say that? The first time that you ever see man exercising wisdom apart from God was Adam and Eve inside of the garden where they're looking at things and they're thinking that it's wiser to just make this decision aside and apart from God. But who do you see in the background pulling the strings? The enemy. And then after that, it sets off this ripple effect of autonomous decisions going all throughout history of man making these decisions apart from God. What makes these autonomous decisions, what makes autonomous wisdom appealing? Well, one, it's plausible. It makes sense. One plus one equals two. It makes sense. That's one. But two, it's easy because it requires no faith. I don't got to trust something that I don't see. So it's easier to go with this. And, and dude, we are so done with this because we'll do the same thing like 150 times and fail at it. And then do it 151 times. But God will keep pushing at you, though, right? Socrates has this quote that I really like. It says, wisdom consists of the critical knowledge that autonomous wisdom is no wisdom at all. Now, let me, I'm not saying that that we dismiss experience and we dismiss education and we dismiss expertise. I'm not, I'm not saying that when I'm saying that wisdom, experience, and expertise all bends a knee to the spirit and wisdom of God 10 out of 10 times. That has to be the reality that we live in. 10 out of the 10 times. You know the most agonizing moment of Jesus' ministry? It wasn't when he was running nails through his wrist. It wasn't when, when he was being whipped or it wasn't when he was being poked with a, 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 a spear. It wasn't when he was being hit with rock. Those wasn't the most agonizing time of his ministry. The most agonizing time of the ministry is when he was on the cross and he didn't feel the presence of the Father with them. It's the only time that you hear him scream out in agony, Father, why have you forsaken me? You never see no other time when you hear him screaming out. 
the most agonizing time of his ministry. Me and Pastor Aaron was in this, this training during the week um, with, with Paul Miller. He's the author of The Loving Life. And he said this quote that really like hit me in the stomach. He said, our normal ways of doing life was Jesus' living hell, autonomous from God. Yet still, God is faithful though, right? Like, even in the, the folly of man's wisdom, God is yet still faithful to his own promises, faithful to his own word. See, he was committed to his promise to Paul regarding him going to, to Rome. That's why when the centurion is seeing that they're going to kill everybody, the centurion wants to protect Paul. And he says, nah, don't kill them all. And they all ended up surviving because God was being faithful to his promise to Paul. See, the promises of God are true regardless of the storms inside of our lives. They remain true. They don't change depending on situations and circumstances. This is the reality. Man, sometimes life will get hectic. Sometimes the cargo will get thrown over. Sometimes the ship will get wrecked. But God is yet faithful. He's faithful to his promises, faithful to his word. This is what Paul holds on to. And then this is how chapter 27 is sets up. You go into 28. And it picks it up right from there. Where after they are on the ship and the ship breaks into pieces, they, 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 they grab debris and, and all the 270-something people all are able to float ashore to this island called Malta. Now let me paraphrase 28 for you. They wash up on the shores of Malta, and, 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 and it says that when they got there, they were shown this unusual kindness. The people, they start building a fire for them. They know that, man, you must be cold. I just saw what happened to you out there inside the ship. And, and, and Paul, he, he's not one of those dudes where he knows that he's able-bodied and he can help. So Paul himself, he, even though he just washed up on the shore, he starts grabbing wood too. And he starts bringing the wood to the fire to, to help. And then when he's bringing the wood to the fire, there's a, a viper, a snake there. And the snake jumps out and it bites Paul. Now what's, what's interesting is how the Maltese process what's going on with Paul. They're looking at what's happening right here, and, 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 and they, they, just, they just watch this snake just dangling from his arm, and, and, and they're trying to process what's going on. You see, see the, the Maltese, they, they believe in this sort of karma type of deal, right? So when they're processing through it, this is their, their theology, and this is how they function. They're processing through what they're seeing happening here, and they're like, okay. This dude just got shipwrecked. 
Uh, he, he, he barely makes it onto, onto shore without being, um, um, without drowning. He gets bitten by this, this viper. And, and, and we don't know the whole story, but he must have done something to deserve it. He must have done something, something about how he worked and what he did, something. He must have done something to deserve all of this. This is where their mind goes to when they come to the conclusion, he must be a murderer. He must be a murderer. I'm going to go to what I think is the worst case human scenario to make sense of what's happening to him. He must be a murderer. So they just stand there and they're just watching. They're like, they're like placing bets how long he's going to take before we drop out and die. They're like, well, I give him 10 minutes, I give him 30. <laughs> but they're just watching him and they're waiting and, and Paul is just standing there and, he's, and this, a snake is dangling from his arm and he's like, and stuff and he's shaking his arm and he shakes the snake off and the snake falls into the fire they continue to look but Paul doesn't die and now they're like he's not a murderer <laughs> I get it he's a god and they transition from murderer because they, they're assuming there's certain works that he must have done, there's certain things he must have done that, that caused him to deserve what was happening to him. But then he doesn't die and their theology is blown out the box. It doesn't make sense, but then they keep trying to work it out. So it goes to this other thing. I just saw him flick the snake off and beat out the, 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 the venom from the viper. He must be a god way beyond human. Here's the thing as I look at the Maltese. I can't escape this reality as I look at the Maltese that, that most of us are just like them. They're not that far off. It's easy to look at them and be like, those silly Maltese people. But here's the reality. Most of us are just like this, like them. Like, like we often believe in karma more than the grace of God itself. I'm saying like most of us will say we believe in the grace of God theologically, but we believe in karma functionally. But how we, we respond to things and how we act, like this, this, this is the hearts of work-based righteousness. It's, it has to do with karma, what you work to achieve, to earn, to get. Like we believe more in, 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 in the work of our hands than the grace of God. But then what God does is he exposes us by putting us through trials and tribulations and, and suffering. He, he confronts us right where we at. You thought you would believe in me, but, but really you would believe in your ability to work your way out. So I'm going to render you into a situation where your works are worthless. How do you fear now? He puts you inside that situation. Now you find yourself drowning. You thought you was trusting and believing in God, but you was believing in yourself and in your ability. And God has rendered everything that you held as tools, as strong points, useless. And you are struggling. Because you didn't really believe in the grace of God. 
Start trying to figure it out. How can I work harder? How can I? I'm going to start doing this and I'm going to start doing that. That's gonna, but, and, and it keeps failing. And God is like, I'm teaching you through this. You'll get it, but you'll cry first real hard. Well, Paul continues. He continues on. That was a side note. Paul continues, right, living there. But he just continued living life as a believer regardless of his circumstances. He's there for another three months, and what he does is he just stays there praying and healing the sick for three months. But eventually, they get another boat. And they get back on their road to Rome, and, 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 and they get back in a boat, and they, and they start going there, and they eventually get to Rome. Now, when he gets to Rome, the, 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 the church fam meets him at Rome, and, and, and he hangs out with them for a while. And then after some time, he gets the opportunity to find out, finally meet up with the Jewish leaders in Rome. He spends all day talking to them about the kingdom of God, showing them and proving them Jesus by walking through the law and then walking through the prophets to show and prove who Jesus was. And they're listening when some of them agreed, some of them disagreed, and they get to this point where they just start arguing and quarreling with one another. They won't agree, and then they all just leave. But not before Paul says one final thing. And he quotes Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. It's the verse we read earlier. He quotes it and he uses it to affirm God's mission to the Gentile. Then the, books, the book ends with, 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 with Paul living this, this missional life for the next two years. Now, that's the end of 28. There's some things that stand out in it. Like he goes in and, and he, he's talking to the Jewish leaders. He, he walks through the law and to, to, to show them the, the structure and, and, and the guide that was all ultimately pointing to Jesus. And, and then he goes to the prophets and he, he lingers in the prophets because it, it communicated the promises of God. Their hope. And they weren't just hoping in promises for promises' sake. Their hope was in the fulfillment of those promises. Because I tell you, if someone keeps making promises and never come through with them and stuff, you're like, dude, I'm not just hoping in you just saying promises to me. I'm hoping in you following through with the promises. So this is what the hope was. And he's saying, listen, God has followed through with the promises in Jesus. Right. They, they, he, they didn't hope in the, the making promises itself, but they hoped in the fulfillment of the promise. And the fulfillment of the promise was in Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of our hope. We need to grab hold of that and know that this thing that you're hoping for, hoping for God to move, hoping for God to correct, hoping for God to do this. And, and, the, and if they're rooted in Christ, your hope is fulfilled in him. So that's what you run after. And that's what you go after. You go after him. If you go after that, you'll miss that. But you go after him, you'll get him with that thrown in. Because your hope is fulfilled in Christ. Now he breaks it down to them. 
And you see this common thread happening when they, when he talks to his, his Jewish brothers. This common this thread in the Jewish community throughout Acts, like that they would hear the gospel and it would cause division. Some would, would agree, some would disagree. There's times where they, they've gotten into fights and there's times where, 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 where it, it was just so bad. And the same thing you see happen here, like some agree, some disagree, and they all just, they just couldn't unite. And they all just say, forget it, I'm going to leave. Now, this stands out because it exposes a contrast community growing up inside of their midst. That community of believers who the gospel was bringing together and mending. That, that though at times they disagreed and, and, that, and at times they, 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 they couldn't um, agree on certain things, they always remained united. Like there was unity amidst diversity and it had become a character trait of this new community. Jews was being involved. Gentiles was being involved. They didn't agree at times, but they sure looked at united. Sure was united. This has to remain a contrasting character trait for the church now. We got to fight for that. We got to fight that that remains a contrasting character trait of the church today. And I'm saying the enemy is fighting really, really hard for it to not be. A community of diverse people that may disagree sharply at times, but yet remain deeply united. Like some, some, some way that this is walked out both spiritually and practically. First and foremost, you have to remember the thing that kept them united was the Spirit of God. Not that they agreed on every point, but the Spirit of God Himself was what kept them united. That's the same reality. Listen, whatever cultural group you find yourself a part of, because of the Spirit of God living inside of you, you are an anomaly inside of that group. You have to always remember that. Do not try to measure yourself by the group because you are an anomaly to that group while yet still being a part of that group. Like, even if you look at it from a political point of view, if, if you are a, a, a Christian that's submitted to the Spirit of God to lead you and guide you, and, 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 and you're also a conservative, then you are different from the rest of the party. You are an anomaly inside that party. If you are a Christian submitted to the Spirit of God and, 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 and you are liberal, you are different from the rest of the party. You are an anomaly in that party. And it's the thing that makes both of you different from the rest of your party that actually unites you to each other. The Spirit of God. This same thing is applied to whatever race you're from, economic status you're from, backgrounds you're from, age you're from. There's these things that make you different, but yet still as a Christian, you don't fit neatly into all the categories. And the thing that makes you not fit neatly into all the categories is the thing that unites you with everybody else that don't fit neatly because of the Spirit of God. 
Now, Paul ends talking to the Jewish leaders by using Isaiah 6, verses 9 through 2, when he used it and translated it in a specific way. And I want to linger here because I feel the Lord speaks to the body inside this way. And, I, and, and we got to really see how he is challenging us. So in verses 26 through 27, he, this, this is what he says, and it's, and it's from Isaiah. He says, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears they can barely hear. In their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Listen what he's saying here. He's saying, some of us, some of us, we listen carefully, but we'll never get it. You'll come, you'll sit in the service, you'll read the books, you'll listen carefully, never get it. Some of us, we'll look carefully, but never see it. Some of us, some of us have dull and insensitive hearts with ears that are plugged to the truth. The question is why? And he says it inside there, why we have intentionally closed our eyes. Then you have to ask again, why? We've intentionally closed your eyes. Why? So that we won't see with our eyes. Why? So that we won't hear with our ears. Why? So that we won't understand with our hearts. Why? Because if we actually did keep our eyes open so that we would see with our eyes and hear with our ears and understand with our hearts, if we actually did it, we would actually turn. And God would heal us, but we don't really want that. So, continue to just look on the surface and not look deeper because you know if you look deeper, what you actually really like, you would end up turning from, but you like it too much. Well, Paul gets to the, the end and we find ourselves here today at the end of Acts. And it's beautiful. You look at it because Acts ends the same way that it starts. Like when, 10 months ago when we started this thing off, we was in Acts chapter 1. And in chapter 1 and 3, it says, he, talking about Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. After suffering, appeared to them, Jesus alive, talking to them about the kingdom of God. Then here in Acts 28, verses 30 and 31, we end, and Luke is very intentional with ending it this way, and it reads, he, this time talking about Paul, 
lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrances. We start off looking at Jesus walking in the strength and might of his spirit, proclaiming the kingdom of God as an example to the nations around them and calling them out on mission. And then we end off with Paul doing the same thing. Now with the spirit of Jesus living inside of him, walking and proclaiming the kingdom of God with that spirit spiritual boldness. And then the book of Acts closes, but it it closes without an ending. It's just sort of like, yeah, then Paul was working and he continued to to work these things out for the next two years. And you're like, "But, but what happened? Remember, he was going to Rome, and you're thinking, but it's like, and it just closes there. And the reason why it just closes like that is because that contrast community that got started in the book of Acts is us. We are that community. It's grown, and we now are a part of that community, and we are now called on that exact same mission that Paul was on, started by Jesus, trusting inside of his spirit where God calls us to walk this thing out, displaying the kingdom of God to the nations around us in the midst of the beauty of our diversity with the spirit of God uniting us together on mission that he would be glorified. Man, and God is so intentional with how he will continue to cultivate us, his people. In such a way, like, listen, if you've been been trusting in your knowledge, I'm going to put you in a position where your knowledge will fail you and you will run out. Why? Because you are not all-knowing like me. I'm all-knowing and I want you to trust me. That's the only way the people will get it. He's going to put us in positions where your power will fail and you'll find yourself powerless. Why? Because he is all-powerful and he wants you to trust him This is a kingdom that is held together by him. If people think the kingdom was held together by our wisdom and knowledge and power, then they've missed it because those are the things that the world hopes on. But this kingdom is held together by its king and fleshed out by its king and beautified by its king. And great joy is given by his king, and peace is given by his king, and the, and the people rejoice because of their king. Together. This is what the book of Acts closes on. Paul, remaining on mission, a mission started by Jesus, walked out by Jesus, that's continued by Jesus. And continues today through Jesus, people that are submitted to his spirit and trust him, not their own strength, not their own might. He was very intentional today with wanting to wrap this, this time in prayer. So as we get ready to close out and go to communion, I want to encourage you. And I don't want to tell you what to pray. 
I want you to practice listening to the Spirit. You can group together. You can pray by yourself. I encourage you grouping together because it's missional, though. Some of you may need prayer, and I'll, I'll be over here. But, man, as the body of Christ, in the honor of his king, when you fall on your knees and you pray, you are acknowledging that you are fallible, that you are incomplete, that you are weak, and it's in him. You're saying, I trust you, Lord, and I need you, Lord. So in your time of praying, praying together, seek the face of our king and pray whatever the Lord leads you to pray. And then I want you to come up here and we want to break bread together. Communion, when you come on, you're taking communion. You're saying, Lord, I'm on mission with you and all the saints of old and all the saints of the future and all the different hands from different backgrounds that reach for these same cups, the bread that represents his body broken for us the juice the represent his blood that flows for us saying we are in mission with you my king and we sit at the table and we sup with you the tables are open let's pray let's worship with communion and continue to worship with song This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.